we thank you for your word, and as we open it together in your presence, we pray that you would both inspire and instruct us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be our teacher. I pray that you would use the words of my mouth and the things that are from you. I pray that they would stick and they would bring encouragement and conviction. I pray the things that are of me, they would just fade into the background. And Lord, we ask that you would transform our hearts. We want to have our lives changed as we gather together. And so we give this entire service to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would use it for your glorious purposes, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, amen. amen. Yes, you did. Here's what the introduction on your notes say. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Let's face it. Jesus has called us to a radical lifestyle that often looks like the exact opposite of the typical way of life for people in our world today. Therefore, we often find ourselves living in very real tension. And that word tension, by the way, I'm going to use many, many times today. So that's the word to pay attention to. That's the word to pay attention to. Did you see? You just got to highlight good stuff when it happens. We often find ourselves living in very real tension as we bring light where there is darkness, healing where there is brokenness, truth where there are lies, and faith where there is unbelief. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you have already discovered that this tension does not and will not go away anytime soon. How do we keep contending for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven without giving up in the process? We find the answer to that question in Luke chapter 18 as Jesus tells his disciples a parable that illustrates the importance of persistent prayer. As you will see, the goal of persistent prayer is not merely that we pray a lot, but rather it is the way we stay committed to and contending for the will of God to manifest in and through our lives. And with that, let's go ahead and read in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, and here's what it says. Now Jesus was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming and coming and coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection or, or justice from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will God not bring about justice for his elect, for his chosen ones, who cry to him day and night? And by the way, that word cry to him in the Bible is a phrase, crying out to God. It's a phrase that refers to intercession. Will not God bring about justice for those who cry out to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, and this verse 8 is the key to this entire passage, when the Son of Man comes in His second coming, will He find this kind of faith on the earth? At first glance, this passage seems rather simple. In fact, I've heard this passage preached or taught many times before. I would even confess that I've taught it several times before, not always with the perspective for which I'm going to give to you this morning. But it seems very simple in that Jesus is telling his disciples a parable to show them how they ought to pray and not lose heart, or more literally, never give up is what that actually means. But when you look at the surrounding context, and what I mean is Luke chapter 17, you realize that there's a lot more here that Jesus 
is in fact trying to say. You hear this passage sometimes as an encouragement to pray and not give up praying, not give up on your prayer life. Keep praying, keep praying. That's what we need to do. That's often the way that we hear this passage, even if it's just us reading it. But that's not necessarily the point that Jesus is trying to make. And I want to show that to you this morning. And in order to do that, we actually have to read Luke chapter 17, verse 20 through 24. And here's what it says in verse 20 of Luke 17. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. All right, they were testing him. They wanted him to prove something. In fact, they were trying to find him in a contradiction. And they were looking for signs. Tell us the signs. If you know, tell us the signs. The kingdom of God will not come the way you're asking. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. We must remember that the Jewish people live with a very real expectancy of their coming Messiah. This is very important for us to know because Israel longed for another Moses to deliver them from the captivity and the bondage that they were suffering from. In that culture and in that generation, we would consider this the Roman Empire. They thought that John the Baptist might be their coming deliverer, their Messiah. And when John the Baptist was murdered or martyred, all eyes turned towards Jesus. Now, by this time in the Gospel of Luke, we know that the disciples were pretty convinced that Jesus was that Messiah, but they still had a lot of questions. But others, like the Pharisees and the religious leaders, were often just trying to find him in a contradiction because they did not believe this. Um, They could not sway their thinking toward Jesus and that he was their Messiah. But this is the thinking that Jewish theology had based on the law and the prophets. It would be that the Messiah would come as this military, political, military, political figure. He would come in his glory as a conquering king, set up his kingdom and call Israel to his side to rule and reign along with him. They had no concept of a suffering servant in the first coming and a conquering king in the second coming. Now, we now understand at this point in history that there was going to be a first and a second coming. We understand that, but they did not understand that, and they're often asking questions out of the theology that they had. So when the Pharisees asked Jesus this question in Luke 17, 20, how is the kingdom of God going to be manifested, or when is it going to be manifested? They're asking based out of their own thinking of what was going to take place. And so Jesus is kind of shifting their thinking in this moment to help them understand what they did not yet know. In fact, we see the disciples several times ask Jesus questions based out of this theology as well. You see it in Luke chapter 19, 11. And you might remember Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Jesus had been risen from the dead at this point, and he's with his disciples before he ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father. The disciples are, are still asking, based out of this first coming, first and only coming, uh, Messiah coming theology, they said, is it at this time, Lord, that you're going to restore, Israel, restore your kingdom to Israel? Is it at this time? And Jesus says, It's no one will know the times or the hours. And he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. In other words, don't worry about the end times. You guys should be concerned and consumed with being witnesses of who I am. This is what you should be consumed with. And so Jesus is further shifting their theology by what he says here in verse 22, Luke 
chapter 17. And he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, look there and look here, but do not go away and do not run after them. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, it shines to the other part of the sky, will the Son of Man be in his day. Hey guys, I want you all to know that when Jesus comes in his glory, it will be unmistakable. You will not be asking the question, how's it going to happen and when's it going to happen? For those who are children of the light, it will not come. It will not come like a, a thief in the middle of the night where you don't know the day or the hour. But for those of us that are children of the light, we will see it like lightning. We will perceive it's coming before he does come. But he's still in this passage, he's basically outlining to them a new view of the unfolding future and the kingdom of God. And he says to them, the kingdom of God is in your midst because the king was standing right in front of them, but they didn't know it. They couldn't perceive who Jesus was. Now, theologians fight over what Jesus meant, but I just believe that the kingdom was in their midst, not in their heart, but the king Jesus was standing right there looking at them, interpreting scripture for them. Wouldn't that be great? You don't want me. You want Jesus to come teach his own scripture. That's what we want. <laughs> the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. I want my heart to burn because Jesus is teaching his own words. Come on, that would be amazing. You can all smile and say, oh, we like you, Ben, but Jesus, we will take him over you any day. <laughs> Me too. I'll be the first to sit down on the floor. I won't even take a chair. <laughs> Jesus, come and teach us. The truth is, is that the first coming of Jesus was barely noticeable, but the second coming is unmistakable. There's a really, uh, there exists for us a tension and this is what this passage actually is all about that we're reading in Luke chapter 18. When we understand the first and the second coming, when, when we understand the kingdom now as it is with the suffering servant, Jesus coming to lay down his life first for those that would choose to bow their knee and confess with their mouth. Jesus came this way. We understand that from that time to the time of him coming as a conquering king, that we're living in a very real tension that the kingdom of God is not fully manifested yet. It has been inaugurated, but it will be consummated. There is a day coming where Jesus Christ is returning as the conquering king. Amen. And in this moment of time, this history, this dispensation that we are living in right now, he bids all men, all women, young and old, to come and bow their knee and confess him as Lord and Savior. This is the tension that we live in. The tension that you and I are living in is that there are things that have not yet been made right. The provision has been given. Jesus has laid down his life. But you and I know we still live on a broken planet. Our Redeemer lives. So the question that we have is how do we live in this tension? A world full of bad news when we have the good news. How do you live around hopelessness when you know that the Redeemer is alive and well and he's coming back? And how do you live around injustice and corruption from the presidential suites, come on, to the broken streets? Yeah, I worked hard on that. I would love to be one of those preachers that just moves into it real slick-like, but I think I would laugh at myself. <laughs> but I still like to rhyme a little bit. Jesus is talking about attention. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand the reason that Jesus gave the parable about the widow and the unjust judge was not just that he wanted people to be a, a people of prayer. I want to be a person of prayer. I want our church to be a church of prayer. I think all of us want to pray more. We all understand that. But he's not saying, I just want you to pray a lot. What he's saying is, is I want to show you a way 
that you can live your life as a disciple of Jesus. I want to show you how you do that and not give up. I want to show you what you need to do, how you need to live, the disposition of your heart, the disposition of your life, the way that you do that, the way that you live in the tension of holding on to the promises of Jesus and living in the midst of maybe brokenness, knowing that healing is coming. You, you know that he's God. You know that he's able. You know that he's powerful. How do you live in this brokenness and, and hold out for something that is greater because something greater is on the way? How do you do that? He says, let me tell you about a widow. He doesn't just want us to pray a lot, although we should be people of prayer. But persistent prayer is a whole lot bigger than just the goal being in and of itself, praying. Do you understand what I'm saying? That we are contending for breakthrough. Why? Because we read the scripture and we're called to be a people that are kingdom-minded in the midst of everything else looking the exact opposite. This is, this is what Jesus is trying to say. What is necessary to sustain a kingdom-minded persistence is a life of persistent prayer. We'll continue with that. Now, let me read to you, knowing that Jesus was flipping their theology or informing their theology, I should say. Let me read to you Luke 18, verse 1 through 8 again. Now, he was telling them a parable to show them at all times that they ought to pray. There's no gap there between Luke 17 and Luke 18. How they ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, why are you a judge? Yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, listen to this again. When the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of faith on the earth? Will he find people crying out to him day and night like this widow standing before an unjust judge? Is this going to be true of his people? This is what he's asking. It is very much in line with thinking about the end of the age and the end times. He's calling us to a certain disposition, and it is utterly important that we don't miss the point of this parable. And I want to give you four points today. I'm unashamedly a three-point preacher, but today I got a bonus for you. You're welcome. Number one, persistent prayer is necessary. Verse one says he told them a parable to show them at all times that they ought to pray. This word ought is literally translated, it is necessary. The word persistence means to continue steadfastly with purpose in a course of action tenaciously, even in spite of opposition. Prayer is necessary. Let me show you a way that you should, the disposition that you need to have. This is the kind of posture that, you'll, that you need to have if you're going to live in the tension and not give up. Let me show you what that looks like. Persistent prayer isn't something that we should do. It's something that we must do to live this kind of a life. You and I were born for the battle on every occasion and under every circumstance The way we resist giving in and giving up is learning to contend for God's answer through persistent prayer. Coming to God in prayer will sustain our lives. There was no in-between for this widow. It was I either contend for justice or I give up. 
And Jesus paints an either-or scenario. And I want to communicate that to you this morning. I want to share with you that if we don't become the people of persisting prayer, those that contend in this world for what we yet do not see but Scripture promises, if we don't become those kind of people, we will, in fact, give up. Gray area is giving up. And this is what I believe Jesus is saying in a very provocative parable. Did you know that this parable is extremely provocative? Not just a little bit, but he paints a very specific type of of picture here, and I think we need to see it just as it really is. The fact is, though, that we will all be tempted to give up. Have you ever been tempted to give up? Have you been tempted to give in? Have you been tempted to give up on God's promises in Scripture? Have you been tempted just to let go when you were holding on for so long and then you just get wore out? Has that ever happened to you? That's actually what Jesus is talking about. He's talking to his disciples who are about to lose him physically, but they will receive the spirit of God in their, in their lives. And he talks to them about that out of John chapter 16. This is what Jesus says in John 16, 31. And I'm not just going to quote to you verse 33, which is what we usually do. But listen to what he says in verse 31. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered each to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. And these things I have spoken to you, these things were that the coming of the Holy Spirit, that he was actually going to leave this world. He was going to suffer and die for the sins of the world. He spoke all of these things. He said, I've told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. I told you all of these things. There's something coming that's going to be difficult. You are about to be thrust into the tension and I am physically not going to be with you, but I want you to know you're going to have the Holy Spirit. Could we break it down this way? It's going to be hard. <laughs> Life is not just going to be easy peasy if you're going to follow me and you're going to get serious about this. He promises us that, that we're going to feel the roughness of following Jesus, but it's all worth it. I gave you the word. I gave you the promises so that you would know something greater is coming, and that is actually what I'm all about. I want you to be all about it. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't let go. Keep being like this widow. Jesus says, let me tell you about a widow. Over the years, I've watched many people go through trials and tribulations. I've had a few, not as many as others. I I admit that. But all of us in this room have faced difficulties And I think it's really important that we take a step back and and realize that sometimes these difficulties, while they are forthcoming in our lives and they will continue until the day that we go to be with Jesus in glory, that these are also moments that challenge our faith. You know, let's take death, for example. Death is one of those things that when you lose a loved one, it it can be very confusing, it can be very difficult. In fact, I've watched people walk away from Jesus because of the confusion that comes over them in the midst of losing a loved one. Now, my, my heart's out to you. We, I think most of us have lost a loved one in this room, some very, very close to us. And I would say it to you like this, that in those moments, it's not that we're going to be happy and we're going to fully understand. In fact, we may not understand why it happened. But the, the truth of all of this is, is that Jesus wants to draw near to us in the midst of those times, but I have watched how something like a death of a loved one can cause a disillusionment on someone's life, and it can be the first step towards completely and utterly giving up. 
I'm telling you, I have watched a lot of people walk away from Jesus in the midst of these types of difficulties. And what would Jesus Christ say to us? Jesus Christ would say to us, let me tell you about a widow. Let me tell you about somebody who in the midst of what seemed utterly impossible, extremely difficult, did not and would not give up on walking with him and contending for something greater than what they felt and what they saw. Jesus does not patronize our feelings. In fact, we feel our feelings. We need to be real with our feelings. But we also have to be people that believe there is something greater than what this life has to offer us. It is why we're here. The hope of our calling is that there is something greater coming. And in this generation and every generation before it, there has always been the scoffer and the mocker to say that, is really Jesus going to come? And Jesus says in Luke 17 that it will be like in the days of Noah, everybody eating and drinking and being merry. And all of a sudden the flood comes. But not to those who know him. That's not what it's like for us. And we cannot let the cultural voice, the generational voice, somehow persuade us to forget that Jesus is on his way. <laughs> I, I, liked, I liken it like this. Jesus is coming, just like I'm coming towards you right now. He's on his way. The coming of the Lord is not just reserved for one day. He's, he's on, the plan is in motion, ladies and gentlemen. He's on his way. Do, 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 do. He says in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, but will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he returns? Will he find a church that is watching and praying? You know, when you hear the term watching, I was reading Acts chapter 20 the other day, and this is all in line with this persistent prayer being necessary. In ancient civilizations, many cities had walls that were built around them for protective measures. This is why they would build. Some cities had walls that were really, really thick, built up with rocks. I can't, be, I can't even imagine being the person that had to build the wall. <laughs> That's got a cultural connotation. I apologize for that. I don't know what. The, where the, anyway, anyways, every city had a wall, whatever. We live in funny times. And they're not really that funny, but... Give me grace, okay? <laughs> every city, almost every city, unless they were small towns, they would have a wall for protective measures. They would have what was called watchmen on the walls. And they would have different shifts. So day and night, the watchmen would be on the walls and they would see if there's any coming threat. And the watchman's responsibility was to communicate down to those that were down on the ground, whether they be the elders in the gate during the day or whether they be other messengers that would go and share if something was coming. Was there a threat that was coming? If the watchman fell asleep, if the watchman fell asleep, it would cause every person in that city to be in danger. Because nobody would be ready if something were to happen. You and I are watchmen on the walls. Not just for other believers, but for this city, for this region, for our families, for the lives of people around us. We cannot be asleep in these times. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth when he returns? Let me tell you about a widow. S second point is persistent prayer is unrelenting. Jesus brings up the scenario of a courtroom, an unjust judge, and a widow seeking justice. In their world, a courtroom was not a fine building, but it was a mobile tent that was moved from place to place so the judge could cover their circuit over a larger region. 
the judge would sit in his tent with his attendants all around him where people could watch all of the court proceedings. This was actually quite popular. Everybody would want to see what was going on. Jesus made the comment that the judge was unjust and he did not fear man. And actually the people that heard Jesus talk about an unjust judge, all of the judges were corrupt in their generation. So when Jesus says there was an unjust judge, everybody would have sneered. Oh yeah, I know about that. It would have been probably this similar conversation of our political landscape today. Everybody would have been, whatever, wherever you're at, you would have scoffed. It's just the way that he did it, and it's why it was provocative. They understood corruption. And he says, there was this widow who kept coming seeking legal protection. And that, too, was an interesting thing for him to bring up because this widow had three things against her in this story. First, she was a woman, which meant that she had little standing in that culture. She could not stand before the judge. This is pretty normal. She didn't have a husband. And so this is the second obstacle that she had. She was a woman. She was a widow. She had no husband and probably no son to stand with her. And the third obstacle she had was she was broke. So she couldn't bribe the attendants because that's usually how you would get your case to be heard. Is you had to give, you had to slide a little money to somebody so that they would bring you before the judge. But she had none of those. You know what she had? Persistence. She had this kind of tenacity, and I love the, don't you love the word tenacity? Powerful. He gives this ridiculous scenario on purpose to show us something that we might feel. He wants us to feel the obstacles that she was facing so that whatever it is that you and I are facing in this life, the tension that we're living in, that we f- face every day or, 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 or whenever we go through even greater difficulties than we're in right now, knowing that we're in the midst of the kingdom now and the kingdom not yet, we're living in this tension. He's saying, I want to show you someone that persisted even in the worst circumstances. He paints it extreme for a reason because no matter where we're at on the spectrum of difficulty, we can relate and say we might have obstacles. Maybe they're not as great as her, but whatever obstacles we are facing, we can do so with this kind of persistence that Jesus says you're going to need if you're not going to give up. Otherwise, the alternative is just to let go and move on. When we are faced with obstacles, do we give in or do we press in? Living in the tension of the kingdom now and not yet feels like this, but prayerful persistence brings about supernatural results in the naturally impossible situations. I think this story speaks to us in every, in every way. And, and, and let me try to make it make sense the way that it's making sense in my head, if that helps. Sometimes people will come to me in the midst of a difficulty and say, Pastor Ben, what should I do? And I'll tell them, you know, press into God and I'll encourage them in the word. I'll encourage them into intimacy with Jesus, relationship with God. Jesus died so that we could be reconciled to right relationship with our heavenly father. So as a good pastor, it is my responsibility. And I would say all of us have this responsibility to encourage one another to press into our relationship with God. But in a difficulty, what I feel like people often hear is, well, Pastor Ben just wants me to pray more. Pastor Ben, when I come to you, your counsel is you just need to pray more. And I've been praying. Pastor Ben, I've been praying and nothing has changed. But see, isn't that the problem? The problem is right there. It's that sometimes we're hearing the wrong thing. I'm not telling a person to press into their relationship with God just to get an answer. I'm telling them to press into their relationship with God because we need God. 
And that's what, we're, that's what Jesus is actually trying to say. We're not looking for just the breakthrough or the answer for the situation that we're facing because we, although we need God to intervene, even if we don't get what we're asking for because sometimes we're not asking for the right thing at the right time, even if we do not get what we are asking for, what we really need is we need the presence of God in the midst of what we're facing. And if we're going to be people that do not give in and do not give up, it's going to be because we are locked into this relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, can I say this to you this morning without offending you? Just go ahead and say yes prophetically. <laughs> it's very difficult for me to say this when someone's walking through something hard, but I'm going to say it as I'm preaching because I'm just saying it, it's non-personal, so I feel comfortable. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> when people say to me, Pastor Ben, when you tell me to pray, you know, that I, I do that. Pastor Ben, I've been doing that. Can I, can I push you a little bit? Have you? No, 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 no. Wait a minute. We just assume that that's really been going on. Like, I prayed. Have you? Ha have you been growing in your relationship with God? Have you been studying the promises of God like they mattered? Like they mattered. Like you find life in that book. Have you, have you been doing that? Have you, I'm not trying to push you and make you feel guilty. I'm, I'm just trying to ask the question. And I know I'm risking the offense, but I'm doing that because I actually believe there's life in that book. I believe he gave it to us for a reason. I believe that when I pray, God hears me because he loves me. This is not just religious ritual. This is reality. This is the reality is that when I come to God, he hears me, he loves me, and he's responding to me even if I don't get what I'm asking for. That's not always the purpose of having the relationship, of just getting what I ask for. Because sometimes if he were to answer everything that I prayed, I would get the wrong thing. So we thank God that he understands what we need in the midst of of our cries out to him day and night. Can I ask you the question, are we seeking God? Do you feel that the church of Jesus Christ is really seeking God right now? I know, I know it rubs, come on, Ben, your sandpaper today. I know, I know, but like, let me risk offending you. Are we really seeking the Lord? You know, an average American spends two hours watching television a day and can hardly crack a Bible. I mean, are we, are we seeking the Lord? Is, is, is it just in a difficulty that God wants your heart or, or in everything? Smile or frown? Sad or happy? Does he want everything? He is after everything. And, and, and so I just don't want to compromise preaching to you. I, I want to be solid in what I'm saying. I, I think what God is going after, I, when Jesus went to the cross, he paid for it all, not just to, to intervene in our difficulties. <laughs> he, pulled a, he pulled the root system out. You understand? What Jesus paid for was the whole tree, not just the fruit, the bad fruit on the tree. He wanted everything. He's after, he's after everything. Persistent prayer is, is, is unrelenting because it's not just about getting an answer. It's about connecting again to that relationship. And in that relationship, we find everything that we need, even if it's not what we're asking for. He says, let me tell you about a widow. You got this picture of this widow traveling around with this judge and his attendants, they would have to break up the whole tent and move on to the next city. You could just imagine the picture that Jesus paints. You know, the, the judge goes to the ancient Israeli outhouse and she's just outside. Can I get legal protection? Sir, can I get legal protection? Your attendants won't even let me come see you. Can I get next city? He's just like, oh, woman, come on. See, let me just tell you women something. I don't understand the woman. 
but I understand the power of a woman. <laughs> That's not a sexist comment. That's honor. You just get this picture of her, right? Right outside of 7-Eleven. Fred Myers, can I get legal protection? I know you're busy. Can I get legal protection? I just love the picture. That's what it's like. He was annoyed in her coming. It's unrelenting. The posture is just ridiculous. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. He paints it this way for you and I for a reason. Because we're living in attention. We're laying hold of God the healer, but I'm not healed. We're laying hold of, of God the way maker, but I don't see the way. We're laying hold of something greater than what I'm standing in. And this is what he's trying to say. You want to know how you don't give up? You persist in prayer. It's not just about getting it, but it's about standing in this place, contending until the very end. We die in a place of faith. We die in a place of contending. And when we transition from here to glory, we go right across the threshold saying, thank you, Jesus, even if we didn't receive what we were asking for because we know it's who God is. Why do we gather together? We gather together so that I can cheer you on. Come on, somebody. <laughs> right? You know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying. Well, Ben, you don't know how hard it is. I may not know how hard it is, but Jesus knows how hard it is. He sympathizes with our weaknesses because he became flesh and blood. He stepped into our world and he touched us. He touched us. He touched everything unclean about us. He touched us. He stepped into our world and he looked at us and he touched us. He wants us. He desires us. And he paid for something a lot greater than the, the difficulties that we're walking through, but he doesn't minimize the difficulties that we're walking through. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God? If you're disillusioned or facing a difficulty right now, I would just say to you, the Lord has a lot to say. The Lord is ministering to you and I right now, whether we know it or not, whether we can see him right now or, or not. But he's calling us to a place of persistent prayer, not just for one thing, but as a way of life. Doesn't 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 talk about praying without? I think it's the exact, Paul is saying the exact same thing. Praying without ceasing is Jesus' way of saying, let me tell you about a widow. Let me tell you about a widow. Number three, persistent prayer changes our perspective Remember that a parable is a story with the truth cast alongside it. That's the definition of a parable. And Jesus was stellar at telling good stories, wasn't he? Some parables were comparative, and that means God is like this. God is like a farmer. And other parables are contrast parables. And that's what this is actually right here. God is not like. So a comparative parable, God is like. A contrast parable, God is not like. This is a contrast parable. And we read in Luke 18, 6, the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect? Hear what the unrighteous judge said. But will not God, God the Father, bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? The unrighteous judge was moved by persistence because he was annoyed. But God is moved by persistence because of his love. It's in our relationship that he hears us, sees us, and responds to us. 
Our perspective of God through the tension of this life is our anchor in the storm. How we see God matters and sets our disposition. Remember when Jesus teaches, we call it the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, Luke chapter 11. The way you even approach God in prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father, our Dad, It sounds rather irreverent at times when you think of it like this, but Jesus would call God Abba. Paul would also share this same sentiment, Abba. It's almost like saying Daddy. It just cuts right across the religious notion of God not being personal at all. Abba meaning Father. It's endearing. It's an endearing term where we can settle into His presence knowing His love, feeling His affection, knowing that this is God towards us. Persistent prayer changes our perspective. What do I mean? The more that we step into this life of persistent prayer, not just focused on the one thing, but focused on the one God. (laughs) As we focus on God, what we find is he washes over our mindset, our perspective, reveals to us his love, his fathering care and his love for us, showing us that he's got it all under control. I'm taking care of you. And we give him our trust. Lord, I trust you. He wants us to continue to persist, but he wants us to tell him. He wants us to show him, share with him, Lord, I trust you. This is what persistent prayer actually does. But when we give up, we often miss what the Lord is trying to release in our hearts and in our minds. He changes our mindset. Now, prayer isn't just about changing our mindset, but that is what happens. It's a byproduct of persistent prayer. Your heart softens. My heart softens. Isn't that what happens? I'll tell you this. If I ever get into an argument, which never happens with me and my wife, it just doesn't happen. You know, I'm a minister. It just doesn't happen while I'm on the clock. Unfortunately, I'm always on the clock. So there's that. But if I ever get into an aggressive negotiation... with my spousal entity, if that happens, not that it does, she can tell if I've prayed or not. She knows me that well. In fact, she knows Ben versus the spirit-filled Ben. Isn't that something? If you ask that woman, seriously, what's Ben like in the flesh, she'll go, oh, man. But she knows, like, we'll have an aggressive negotiation once in a while. And I'll come back, and she'll know if that irritation is still on me. She'll know I didn't pray. I just stayed in the flesh. But when I, my heart gets drawn towards the Lord, and I just say, Lord, help me. Give me your perspective. He changes my perspective. He fathers me in that moment. My heart becomes soft. I, I walk in, and my wife knows. She, he is the, our Father, but he's also the God of heaven, and that's, we carry this reverence of both. It's, it's powerful. We, we know who, who we're talking to, but he He speaks to us like a father. He doesn't expect us to understand all that he is. Like, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. He's like declaring to us, you can't get me. (laughs) But but I came close to you, right? And so I'm going to reveal myself to you in a way that you can't understand. The fourth point, persistent prayer changes our situation. Jesus says in verse 8, I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. God loves us hears us and responds to us. I just want to say publicly that I I reject the notion that prayer is inactivity. I've said it to you before, but I'm going to continue to say it because we want to boot that thinking out of our minds. 
that, that in this generation that people would suggest that prayer is being inactive, when actually prayer could be the most active thing at times that we ought to do. Jesus, I want to remind you, Jesus Christ in Luke 18, verse 1 through 8, and many other passages taught you and I as his followers and disciples to come to him in prayer. If anybody ever says anything different, it is not from God. Now, can you hide and just say, well, I'm just going to pray and never be active? Sure, but that's a separate issue. Our inactivity is not just expressed through our fullness of prayer, if that makes sense. We want to pray and we want to act. But we don't want to turn prayer into inactivity because somebody isn't following through in obedience. That's two, there are two issues there. But I reject the notion that prayer is inactivity. You say, well, Pastor Ben, why? Because in 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1, a woman named Hannah prayed for a son and God answered her. Because in Acts chapter 12, Peter was in prison and the church prayed and God released him supernaturally. Because in 2 Kings 19, Hezekiah prayed and God delivered Judah from the Assyrians, which was a supernatural event. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, Samuel prayed that God would deliver the Israelites from the hand of the Philistines, and God delivered them from the hand of the Philistines. They would not have been able to overcome. In Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John were released from prison, they prayed with believers, and it says that the place where they were praying was shaken. There was an earthquake when they prayed. Why? Because of who they were talking to. Ladies and gentlemen, if God hasn't answered your prayer, he's still God. And he's still calling you and I to himself. We maybe haven't gotten what we've asked for. We maybe haven't understood the situation that we're in. And we maybe can acknowledge that we're living in the tension, knowing that he's able, knowing that he's willing, and not understanding why it's not happening. But he calls us to press in. He calls us to pray. He calls us to be those kind of people that contend until the end. Let me show you how not to give up. Let me tell you about a widow who had everything against her and every reason to give up and every reason to think that nothing was going to change, but she just kept going, can I get legal protection? Can I get legal protection? Can I get justice? Can I see justice? Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he returns? Will he find his people like this? Or will he find his people like this? I was... Um, I had a dream one time. I don't get a lot of prophetic dreams. Uh, if you read scripture, there's over 200 references to dreams and visions where God gave revelations to people. So you can't tell me that God doesn't do this because over 200 times in the Bible it happened. So either it's true or it's not. So I just wanted to park that car there and let you know about it. Doesn't mean every dream's from God, but I've had some that were absolutely from the Lord. One time I had this dream and I walked into the back of a sanctuary. It was nonspecific to me. I walked in the back. There were people all over the sanctuary, and I could see the, the back of their heads because I was, I was facing their back. And as I walked down the aisle, I could see people, and they were, they were really in the, they were just being lulled to sleep. Like half of them were, some of them were bobbing and weaving. Not that you guys do that during Sunday morning service. <laughs> Get a super soaker, you know. What happened? <laughs> supernaturally water drop from the sky. <laughs> you know, I just, uh, I have compassion. Sometimes you guys just need sleep. Hopefully if you do sleep in service, God gives you a dream. That's all I ask, all right? Thank you, Lord. Supernatural, Lord. Just release that to him. Thank you. If you need sleep, rest in the presence of God. That's not a bad thing. I'm sorry. 
But I was walking, I was walking down the aisle, and, and as I'm looking at the people, I could see that they were just falling asleep. And they were, almost all of them were asleep. In fact, some of them were fighting it, but it was just, just sliding down the chairs. And I look up, and there's a table like this, and it's over on this side of the sanctuary. And I walk up to the table, and there's an alarm clock, like an old-school alarm clock. And, and I realize, oh, the people are, the people are expecting that the alarm clock's going to wake them up so they can be ready. Okay, I, I, get, I understand an alarm clock. But then I looked, and the cord was hanging, and it wasn't plugged in. And so I walk up to the table, and I look, and I pull the cord up, and I'm thinking to myself, well, this is crazy. It's not plugged in. In fact, it's not even close enough to the power source. You would have had to move the table halfway across the area to get it to where it could plug in. So I'm holding this, and I look out at all the people. Now, bear with me here. And I start yelling, hey! <laughs> it's a dream. It's a dream. Hey! What you're trusting in and what you're waiting for to wake you up has no power. The power is not even plugged in. And as I'm saying this, everybody all over the sanctuary just waking up, disgruntled, upset. What? Stop yelling at me. Stop yelling at me. But somebody needed to say it. Somebody needed to wake the people up. And I came out of that dream and I just went like, Lord, all I said was wake us up. This is not a day to fall asleep in all that God wants to do in our families, in our homes, in our lives. It's going to require a persistent type of prayer. It's going to require you and I coming out of comfort and convenience and being the people of God, laying hold of his promises, living in the tension, knowing that we were born for the battle. Maybe you're going through something right now. Maybe you don't understand what you're facing right now. This is what we do together. We gather together and we lock arms and we say, we're going to get to the other side, but we're going to bring people with us. And we keep contending, we keep fighting, we keep holding on because it's all that we have. David said it like this, Psalm 27, 13, I am still confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is the verse that I sign all my books with. This is the verse that I pray. This is my life's verse that was prophesied over me before I understood what prophecy was. I am still confident of this, David says toward the end of his life, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, in my life, my family's life, and the lives of everyone else. And if I don't see it or not, you can count on this, I'm still contending. <laughs> I'm still contending. Ladies and gentlemen, what I'm asking God to do this morning is release a prayer movement in our hearts. Father, would you release a prayer movement? In fact, let's stand and pray. I pray boldly, not naming names, not calling any of us out, not trying to make any of us feel guilty. Let's be expectant of what God wants to do and not feeling guilty about what I'm not doing. Let's move on from the guilt and lay hold of the God that can transform and change wherever we're at and whatever is going on. God can do that. God can do that. I can't do that, but God can do that. Father, we thank you right now as we stand in your presence, we acknowledge that you are God and that you have all power and authority. And Lord, we know that you're at work. We, we just confess you're at work even when we don't see it and even when we don't feel it. 
We worshiped with those words this morning, and we say them in prayer. We know that you're at work. And right now, I just pray all over this room and everyone that watches this message, I pray that you would release a prayer movement in our hearts. I pray that you would release a contending inside of us that no situation can knock out of us, no matter how hard it is, Lord. We're reminded today that you stand with us, that your presence is always with us no matter what difficulty we are facing, no matter what tragedy we've just experienced and we have. But Lord, our job is to continue to hold on to you for our very life because you are our life. You're our life. Our goal is not just to have you in our life. Our goal is to have you as our life. And so today, Lord, we profess that over all of our situations. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us that, that spirit to contend. To contend, to contend to the end. And I just pray you would release a prayer movement in our lives. And Lord, now we pray that you would release a prayer movement in our church. We pray that you would move in power through us and in us in such a way where we would see things happen on this property and all of the groups and all of the gatherings and all the meetings and everything that we do in ministry in this area, this region and surrounding region, we pray that we would see your mighty hand move because we have sought you and we have asked of you. And we thank you, Lord, that you're going to continue to build the fire. And we thank you for it this morning in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, Amen. I would love to see you in the Connect After Service or meet you. We have prayer teams available. I want you to know if you need prayer, we will have some up here that will pray with you. But as you go, be strengthened by God's word. Be filled with God's spirit. Be mindful of God's voice. Be focused on his mission as we bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. God bless you guys this morning. Amen. Amen. We're so glad you were able to join us today. We would like you to find out more about Northwest Church by going to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or downloading our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.